Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Fresh from San Diego, California, comes the only sunglasses brand I'm ever going to wear again. I'm talking about blenders, eyewear, and you're going to be just as hooked when you see just how incredible these shades are. I absolutely love them. I got a pair. I don't even know what they're called, but they've got this kind of old school vibe, kind of big. I look a little bit like Max Headroom, but in a very kind of sexy way. Chase Fisher started Blenders by selling his beachy shades out of a backpack while doubling as a surf instructor on Pacific Beach. Unlike expensive big brand shades that you've probably lost or smashed in the past like Billy does all the time, Blenders are actually affordable, so you're not going to cry as much when the inevitable happens. To scroll 15% off your Blenders purchase, visit BlendersEyewear.com and enter the promo code ONIONVIP. That's BlendersEyewear.com. Code ONIONVIP for 15% off. Blenders, rocked with pride worldwide. The Geeked Podcast is your weekly energy boost of the world's fandoms and stories you love. Hosted by Princess Weeks, author, YouTuber, and connoisseur of all things Sailor Moon and Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and Tessa Netting, actress, musical theatre nerd, and lover of all fictional villains. Mm, each week they will break down the top stories in the land of geekdom and then take a deep dive into the lore of Netflix worlds bigger than our own. Worlds like Stranger Things, Ooh. The Umbrella Academy, oh, lovely. of course The Witcher, yes. and many more. This podcast is a must-listen for anyone who is scouring Twitter feeds and fan wikis dying to theorise and talk about their new show that they are obsessed with. New episodes of The Geeked Podcast come out weekly. Follow The Geeked Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and be sure to follow at Netflix Geeked on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Harmonize with me and hold me tight all through the night. You're shining bright. I'm your oyster, baby. You're my pearl. Hello and welcome to the Friendship Onion. Hello! That's my friend Dominic Monaghan. Monaghan. Yes. I actually, I, got, I actually got that wrong. Now. That's all right. It happens with everyone. That's weary. I told you I'm thinking of dropping the G. Don't. Really? That's why I got it wrong. Okay. Um, yes, we're here. Now, guys, we do have a special guest this week. A little um, comment to make here is that because he was such a fantastic guest, we did not want to lose our fantastic guest. And we only had one day. We had one day. We couldn't get him here today. So. I was on an unexpected travel day. Ugh. It kind of came out of nowhere. <sighs> so Billy conducted the interview. And can I say, yeah, it was like watching David Frost. You can say or that. Or like an early David Letterman. Oh, you can Incredible say stuff. Well, um, it does help that he's a fantastic guest. Yeah, fantastic guest, fantastic interview. But before we jump into that, should, yeah. we, should we just uh, answer a couple of questions? I don't see why we wouldn't, Tom. I don't see why we wouldn't. Peeling the onion. Housekeeping! How much fun are you to keep a house so clean and true? What are you looking for? Are you looking for stuff? I was looking for a script. Oh, yeah, okay. Well, I'll just read you the question. All right, go on then. This is from Aurora in Location Unknown. What a lovely name. Yeah, what a cool place to live as well. She says, um, what is the scariest or most terrifying film you have seen? And please, can you give us a little bit of details about that thing? I'll tell you, Dom. Go on. The Brood. B-R-O-O-D. Yes. The Brood. 1980s. Imagine, if you will, Cran Hill. Glasgow, Scotland. Terrifying. Is this <laughs> the film? Or? No, this, okay, is, cool, this cool. is my life. This is your life. It's terrifying. I'm there with my friends. We're watching all these horror movies. What over, age are you? Well, I would say, let's say 14. Okay. Right, let's say 14. Okay. And uh, we'd watch, you know, Rabid, Piranha, <sighs> Scanners. Oh, Scanners where his head explodes. All these 80s, you know, horror movies. Yeah. And I went to my friend's house, David Arbuckle. Hiya, Dave. And he lived at the bottom of the hill. I lived at the top. Mm. And me and my friends watched this movie, The Brood. Is it about a uh, chicken in a bad mood? It's eggs. No. 
It's a woman. She's got a brood. And she's got like a womb outside her body. And she gives birth to these like monster things that then she uses as her brood. She, she's happy about it. She's happy that she's giving birth to monsters. I think she loves it, yeah. as I remember it. And, oh my God, it gave me the fear. Mm. See that walk up the hill after we watched it? Late night. <gasps> I didn't sleep, Tom. Dark alleyways. The brood. Windows that faces looking at. The brood. It, it, it's, it's, it's kind of when it catches you at the, at the right time in your life, right? Yeah. Because... Give us it, Tom. Which well, mine... A... I have two, to be honest. Well, you're only allowed one. Oh, God. <laughs> But there's good stories with both. I'll be very brief with both. See, when you said 14 and you're impressionable and all that kind of stuff, mine at 14 was the original Nightmare on Elm Street. <gasps> and we saw Freddy Krueger a couple of weeks ago at we a convention. Did. And I told you, I went, hiya, Robert, because his actual name's Robert. Yeah. I'd seen him before and you've seen him before. He didn't wave. No. No, no. He went like this. <sighs> and I said to you, he just did the Freddy hand to me. <sighs> so people go, all right, Freddy. And he goes, <sighs> So that, when I was a kid, that scared me. No wonder he's in your dreams. Well, very sophisticated, isn't it? Because you watch horror films at night and then you go to sleep at night and then you're not supposed to sleep in the film, but you want to go to sleep because it's late and then you get scared. Well, you're tired. Do you know what I mean? So that, but when I've watched it now, it seems a little bit silly. The first movie that Johnny Depp was in, by the way, which is interesting, that was his his film debut. Was it really? Yeah, Nightmare on Elm Street. Did he get sucked through the bed? Got sucked through the bed, yeah. Terrifying. All that blood on on the ceiling must have left a right mess for the maids. But objectively, the film that really gave me the heebie-jeebies was, have you seen a film called Martyrs? No. I wouldn't recommend it. Tell me about it, though. Well, it's, <laughs> it seems that these youngsters have been imprisoned by this nefarious kind of gentleman, and he's taken all their skin off. What for? I don't know. From head to toe, they've not got skin on them, but they're kept alive through some sort of medical IV drips and syringes and stuff. But I just remember a friend of mine said, you have to watch this film. And I think he said it to kind of like see if I could watch it. And I did watch it. But there's a moment where before our heroine has had all of her skin taken clean off, she walks into a room does not expect to see a captive person in there. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Right. With all of their skin off. Completely off. Off. And the captive person says something along the lines of, don't stay here, he'll take all your skin off. And then she realizes that guy is going to take all her skin off. And he does take all her skin off. It's an awful film. What age were you when you watched this? I was pretty old. I would say 28, 29. Is it Italian? What made you think it was Italian? (laughs) Yeah. Where did that come from? I'm trying to think. Taking skin off tomatoes. Do they not like the skin on tomatoes in their sauce or something? Didn't, didn't Italians make like some horror movies? Oh, did they? What was it? What, a scary Italian film? <laughs> no. What, what was it? What was this film called? Yeah, no. No. What, who made it? What? what country? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Was it in English? Oh, it's been a long time since I've seen it. I'm right. going to say it was in English. I don't remember subtitles. I was too busy looking at the fact that, I mean, can you imagine? No. It's hard to imagine what a human body looks like alive with all its skin I'll off. I'll never watch that film. It's terrifying. I don't want to watch it. So that's the scary one. Okay, well, thanks, Aurora. And then thanks do you want, shall I read this question since you... Yeah, I don't have the thing. Yeah, yeah. Finally, before we jump into our incredible guest. Oh, yeah. And I must say the incredible interview of that guest. Carry on, Tom. We have Lauren uh, oh. from Chicago, the windy hey, city, buddy. City of big shoulders. Broken and... dreams. Yeah. Who's 22. She put her name there. She's her age there. She's 22. She said, what ungodly thing was in Eowyn's soup? Now, there is a story behind this, isn't there? That supposedly, and we'd have to get it from Pete Jackson uh, to corroborate this, but I'm pretty sure it's true because I think Pete said it in the DVD extras. 
They were on location, right, out in the middle of nowhere, struggling for a meal. And I think the caterers just said, look, we're going to struggle today because it's snowing and we can't get to generators and all this kind of stuff. We'll bring you a soup. Yeah. And supposedly the soup was so poor that Pete said, let's use that as a story beat and we'll have Eowyn having made that soup for Aragorn. Is that true? Supposedly that is the story behind the ungodly soup. So I think it was... Uh, That's only in the extended version, right? Mm, and I, I really like it because... I think, well, they're both brilliant, but it's nice to see Aragorn in a light moment mm. of, you know. Moment of brevity. Yeah, I mm. thought that was really nice. Yeah, he has it kind of catch on his lip. Yeah, and he's kind of like, oh my God, this is awful. Thank you, Lauren, for that question. Now, should we bring on our guest? Why don't you introduce him? Because um, you did the interview. You over there. <laughs> <laughs> Talking to you. I would, Tom. I would absolutely love that. You'll probably remember him from such programmes as Mythbusters. <gasps> yes, I've met him a, a few times and he's a lovely fella and, uh, and obviously loves to make things mm. and blow things up. Mm. It's Mr. Adam Savage. Oh, fantastic. Well, ladies and gentlemen, here we are on the Friendship Onion. But Tom, as you know, is not here at the moment, but we do have... Someone who most people would agree is better than Tom Monaghan. It's Mr. Adam Savage. Hey! <laughs> How are you, sir? I am really good. It's good to see you, sir. Uh, great to see you. I, I tell you, whenever we bump into each other, uh, I always have a lot of fun. So I was really, really excited when we heard that you could come on to the Friendship Onion. Oh, it's my delight. Yeah, we, we ran into each other at about a half dozen cons last year. Yeah, yeah, I know, and uh, it's it's never the right time to get deeply into stuff, and you've all, you've always got such great stories, and they always they always bring up another question for me. I, I think, oh, I want to ask Adam this now, and <laughs> and when you're in a green room or in a cafe or something, it's not the right place, yeah, of course. Yeah. So um, it's it's really lovely to see you, and uh, and thank you very much for coming on. You seem as though you're in somewhere that would be used for creating things, Adam. Indeed. You're right. This is uh, my cave, my shop uh, in San Francisco. It's about two blocks from my house. And this is where we do all the content for uh, my YouTube channel, Tested. Oh, right. Cool. This is the new Tested. Yeah, I saw that. How long has that been up and running? Um, actually, now we think we're almost uh, nine years in. Uh, is it really? Nine wow. or ten years in, or even more, actually. It might even be eleven years. My goodness, I'm, I'm, uh, yeah. Time passes really quickly at this point. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 we're just saying that it's my, it's my son's sixteenth birthday today, and I was like, people have been sending photos of you know when he was a baby and and a pram, and you're just yeah. like, oh my god, where did that sixteen years go? It's, I it's know. absolutely crazy. But, I am um, um, my, my my sons are twenty three. And I was thinking about how when I look at them, I still see them like like an onion, actually. I see them at every age I have known them, all at once. Yeah. And when people say you actually know the person when they were three, you, you can see that now. When I look back, I go, oh, yeah, that was Jack. I, I can yeah. see Jack when I what look is- in those photos. But um, it's it's amazing. It's amazing how quickly it goes. And uh, that's why we have to seize every moment, which seems a thing that you do, Adam. I try. I try. By the way, happy birthday to your son. Right? He just <laughs> got his uh, first guitar, his like his guitar, because uh, there's lots of guitars around the house, my guitars over the years, and he picks and chooses whatever one when he's playing. Yeah. But he said, you know, I'd, I'd love a jazz master. I, I'd love a... A Miami Blue Jazzmaster. And I was like, that is a cool guitar. That is a cool first guitar. So uh, he's, he's absolutely thrilled, I think. But if I was you, I could have built it from just pieces of, you know, a tree and some cat's tails. And I could have built a Jazzmaster. It would take a while, but yeah, absolutely. It's, it's very nice, actually, because it brings me to, I was going down a little kind of Google hole when I was uh, reading up on you yesterday. and. Um, it said, and I hope this is true, it probably isn't, as All these right. things on the internet is, 
but they said that you got into making things because of a, a, a bike shop. That you would take your bike to the shop, the guy would fix it, but then he started to show you how to fix it. Yeah. And then you were like, oh, wow, I can, I can take this thing apart and put it back together and it's not actually that hard. Is yeah. that sort of a story? No, that's absolutely exactly how it happened. That was the first time someone showed me through a mechanical system. He showed me how to change my bike tire. And by the end of that year, I was taking bikes apart and reconfiguring them. Uh, and it was the first time I sort of was able to put a mechanical arrangement in my brain and see it here as well as seeing it here. Right, yeah. That's the endorphin rush I'm always chasing. Right, yeah. Because I, I can't, if I take something apart, that's it. It will never, <laughs> ever be together again. But I, in my mind, I feel like, oh, yeah, I, could, I can fix this. I can do it. But I can't. Well, I mean, this is the thing with, with kids taking stuff apart is once you've taken enough things apart, you start to actually internalize how they go back together. But until you've uh -huh. done that, it's a, I watched videos of people like taking apart watches and putting them back together. It's one of my favorite things on YouTube. And to me, it's like a magic trick when they put all the screws in a cup and clean them and then pour them out and somehow put this watch back. I'm like, how do you know where the screws go? I get very stressed out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Even even a, a skateboard. My son was into skateboarding for a while, and he said, we don't need to keep buying um, bearings. You can clean them. And even that seemed like I'm taking apart a spaceship here. This isn't, you know, even taking a wheel. And But I'd love to be like, I'd love to be able to kind of take things and make things. Olipop, Olipop. I love to drink Olipop. I just made that up, Tom, because it's my new favourite drink, Olipop. Now, it used to be I used to like drinking sort of sugary sodas and stuff, and we know it's not good for us. So I stopped drinking them, and uh, I've just found this Olipop brand that are fantastic. All different flavours. At the moment, I'm loving orange. They also do like a traditional cola and root beer and Cherry vanilla is a fantastic one. They've got lots and lots of flavors, and they are brilliant. The big thing that's really bad about normal sodas is the sugar. So much sugar. Like a normal can of cola is like 39 grams of sugar. Now, you're only supposed to have 30 grams in a whole day. Now, with Olipop, you're maybe getting two or five grams at the very most. Like the vintage cola has got two grams of sugar, all from natural sources, no sugar added. It is fantastic stuff, and it tastes amazing. And they are so confident that you will love their product that they offer a 100% money-back guarantee to orders placed through their website. Receive 20% off plus free shipping on your order. I recommend trying their variety pack. This is a great way to try all their delicious flavors. Go to drinkolipop.com slash onion or use code onion at checkout to claim this deal. That's D-R-I-N-K-O-L-I-P-O-P dot com slash onion. Olipop can also be found in over 8,000 stores across the country, including Kroger, Target, Whole Foods, Sprouts, and Wegmans. I've been looking for a way to offset my carbon footprint, but had no idea where to start until I found Ren. Ren is a startup that's making it easy for everyone to make a meaningful difference in the climate crisis. Right now, they're focused on monthly subscriptions where you can calculate your carbon footprint, then offset it by supporting awesome climate projects that plant trees, protect rainforests, and remove CO2 from the sky. Their goal is to unlock the collective action of millions of individuals to drive the systemic change needed to end the climate crisis. Signing up for REN is an easy way to do something meaningful about the climate crisis. REN practices hyper-transparency. Once you sign up to make a monthly contribution to offset your carbon footprint, you'll receive monthly updates about the tree planting, rainforest protection, and carbon removal projects you're funding. You can even see the exact coordinates of the trees you planted. It's going to take all of us to end the climate crisis. Do your part today by signing up for Ren, go to ren.co slash onion. Sign up and they'll plant 10 extra trees in your name. That's w-r-e-n dot c-o 
slash onion. Start making a difference. Thank you, Ren. The last time we were talking, we, we got on to Richard Taylor and Weta and those guys. When we were making Lord of the Rings, that was my, that was my favourite days when I went to Weta and I saw those guys. And, you know, you'd be passing and you'd see someone making a dagger and someone else is making a, a tiny version of Minas Tirith. And you think, <laughs> how, how does all this happen? What is going on, you know? So uh, how, how did, because I know you know these guys. Yeah. How did that happen? How did you get to know the, the Weta? Well, for anyone listening who doesn't know, Weta is the um, special effects, physical uh, special effects that, you know, Adam works with, but also there's digital Weta but um, the physical special effects, the the masks of the orcs, the armor, everything that you see came from this Weta workshop. And I've never asked you how did you meet those guys or get to know them. I had uh, I had met Richard Taylor a couple of times at San Diego Comic Con. Ah. And in I think 2013, I was on a I, I built a science stage show with Jamie Heineman, and we were touring it down. Uh, down in uh, Australia, and then in uh, we came down to Auckland to perform it for a couple of nights. And I thought, oh, this is my chance. So we actually, my wife and I flew in to Wellington, uh, and I spent, and then I reached out to Richard Taylor and said, I'd love to come by. And he said, by all means, by all means, come on, Adam. Uh, <laughs> Very good. <laughs> uh, everyone has a, a Richard Taylor impression, right? Um, and... Uh, I went over to Weta that morning and spent, uh, I think, eight hours touring the facilities. I had lunch with Peter Jackson that day, and that's when, I mean, and that's really the day that started, uh, it's the day that Weta became part of my extended family, or I became part of their extended family, and it was the beginning of my friendship with Peter. Uh, mm-hmm. And now, I, before COVID, I was getting down to Wellington two or three times a year. Oh, really? uh, to film stuff and to hang out and see those guys. Uh, you know, I've stayed on Richard's farm. I, I just, it, I feel like it's one of my extra homes down there. Yeah, they're wonderful people, huh? It really is. I, you know, as you were talking about all the amazing things you see. Last time I was there, it was um, feet as far as the eye could see, hobbit feet, like sticking up as they were in production delivering. <laughs> Stuff like that is just great, and that sort of that passion. I remember Pete telling us because you, you'll know that Pete was basically a one man movie set for a while, and yeah. just doing everything and. He wanted to make a mask of his head because he'd heard about this, you know, a paper mache, whatever head, so that he could then make his head and blow it up on screen, you know, explode it somehow. But he told us that no one had showed him how to do it or anything. So he put it on himself without any Vaseline or anything. So when he took it off, it took every hair, every eyelash that was all perfectly in this thing. Um, I think that so many makers have this story because I did the same thing when no, I was first learning about casting materials. I did my whole chest, and yeah, it was it was yeah, it was like waxing. It was not pleasant. The reason this came up is I was just doing a job last week, and I had to get a cast done, and they did brilliant, but exactly like you, they hadn't done here, so oh. the thing was all off and just hanging. You know, and they're trying to put down alcohol to get it. And those little hairs hurt a lot. Oh, man, it hurts so bad. (laughs) I'll be like, I'll tell you anything you want to know. (laughs) But that's when the story came back. And I was like, but that's those New Zealand filmmakers, isn't it? They're just like, let's just do it, whatever it is. They're they're absolutely amazing. You know, I love talking to... um, uh, 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 to people that worked on Peter's early films like Dead Alive or Brain Dead, as it's known yeah. in the rest of the world, um, because of just how much hand to mouth, how everyone was doing everything. You know, they they talk about that movie where everyone was covered in fake blood for weeks on end. Yeah, yeah. And and Richard tells us when they got together with Peter, they would they would watch all these movies in his sitting room, and he says that Pete had the smallest smallest house. 
in in Wellington apartment, and he had a, the biggest TV that you could get in that time, and that's all it was was a TV showing horror movies to the the people walking past outside were just looking in the window at these three people, you know, watching these gruesome horror movies. You know, the the thing about spending that first day at Weta was that like. When you've when you've gone through the crucible of building stuff for yourself because you didn't know how to do it any other way, yeah. um, and you find other people that have done that, you find such a family because, as Richard says, the the the, the ethos of New Zealand is if it can't be built with number eight fencing wire, it's not worth building. Yeah, you know, I was down there a couple of years ago with a producer of mine who uh, is Latino, and she was like, "Why is that?" Why is that Mexican restaurant called the ass of the world, El Culo de Monde? And I was like, because that's what New Zealand calls itself. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's brilliant. Like, you can't get any further away from everywhere. It's just... Yeah. I mean, they're forgotten about on most world maps, right? Yeah, yeah. It's a wonderful country. It really is. It really is. But let's get back a bit again here, Adam. So you're in this, you're in this bike shop, um, and and you learn you can fix things. And then you became an actor for a while. Is that right? Well, yeah, I I, I I'm an extrovert. I like performance, uh-huh. and I thought I wanted to be an actor for a while. And I did some commercials. I was in a Charmin commercial when I was 15, uh, nice. playing a stock boy. Yeah, I was in a Billy Joel music video where I was like the best friend who drowns. Oh, tragic tale. An absolute <laughs> I got hypothermia and got to warm up in Billy Joel's trailer. Nice. Lovely yeah. stuff. He gave me a beer and a cigarette. It was totally appropriate. How old were you? 15. Lovely. Perfect. <laughs> um, and then, uh, you know, I didn't know really what I wanted to do. And mm. I, I was sort of doing, I was doing auditions, but I wasn't really committed to being an actor. And I started to realize that I was wasting everybody's time. Uh-huh. Um, that if I was going to do this, I had to do it or not do it. And I realized I was more interested in making stuff. And so that's where I concentrated. And then I made stuff. I was in uh, theater special effects and prop making and commercial special effects. I'd worked on movies like AI and Star Wars episodes one and two. And then in 2002, we made the pilots for Mythbusters. And that's when the performer in me meet, meets the maker. Yeah. And I get to tie both of these things together. And it's been an amazing journey, you know, uh, just building stuff and being able to perform that story and talk about it. But how how did Mistbusters, how did that come about from making props? Well, so uh, Discovery had this show. Actually, the show was produced out of Sydney by a company called Beyond Productions. And they had the idea for a show called Mythbusters. But back then, Discovery was not a a network that had a lot of talent-based shows. We were one of the earliest ones. Right. And so they didn't want to invest in building a shop for this show. So they were looking for somebody who had a shop already to shoot some pilots. And Jamie was somebody they reached out to. And he said, he called me up because we were professional colleagues. And he said, look, I don't, I don't think I could host a television show on my own, but maybe if you came over and we shot a demo reel, maybe we could do it together. And we shot a demo reel in about two hours. I edited it on my laptop that night, sent it to Discovery, and they showed up three weeks later with a camera crew of only five people, just this tiny little group. Yeah. And we made three pilots over six weeks. Um, The show aired about four months later, and they immediately picked up the first season, and then we filmed for 13 years without a break. That is crazy. Yeah. It's amazing how these one little thing... He's got yeah. a shop. We're looking for somebody with a shop because we don't want to build it. And then he gets his mate, who he knows is a bit better at a performer. Yeah. And then 13 years later. It's even better than that because what Jamie didn't know when he called me was that the laptop I edited on, I had bought it specifically to teach myself the rudiments of filmmaking. Um, Apple released this laptop in 2002 called the Pismo with Firewire in, and I bought a little DV camera, and I had spent that spring of 2002 making little films and then editing them and storyboarding them and just sort of understanding how to cut something together. So when he called me, I was perfectly ready because I had a production studio in my laptop and my and my camera. You know, it's that, um, that thing of, like, uh, chance favors the prepared mind. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think that's... That's amazing. So you like 
taking apart a bike, you just took apart filmmaking. You just <laughs> knocked it down into its little parts and said, yeah, I can, I can build this up here. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I love it when, um, again, like I know that uh, Sean Astin directed a little film mm -hmm. in Wellington, right? I mm -hmm. love it when actors want to expand and move out and start to look at this, the other aspects because they're thrilling. And making a little film and editing it was an incredible education. And it taught me that I can edit if I have to, but boy, is it not my gene pool, right? Like that is something that is an amazing skill that people have. And I'm, I'm delighted to know enough about it to kind of understand the rudiments of it. Uh, and that's, that's what I am. I'm a skill collector. I like, like gathering enough of each skill to sort of understand how it might be useful to me. It can be hard to see the light at the end of the tunnel when you have high interest debt. And sometimes it can be even harder to ask for help. That's where Upstart comes in. Upstart powered personal loans can help you pay down high interest debt, all online with simple and easy to understand payment terms. Upstart has helped over 1.8 million customers on their path to financial freedom. Whether it's paying off credit cards, consolidating high interest debt, or funding personal expenses, Upstart can help you get one fixed monthly payment with a clear payoff date. Upstart knows that you're more than just a credit score. So rather than looking at your credit score alone, Upstart's model considers other factors like your income, employment, and other information provided in your loan application to find you a smarter rate for your loan. You can check your rate in minutes for loans between $1,000 to $50,000 without impacting your credit score. Don't wait and check your rate today at upstart.com slash onion. That's upstart.com slash onion to check your rate today. Don't forget to use our URL to let them know we sent you. Loan amounts will be determined based on your credit, income, and certain other information provided in your loan application. Go to upstart.com slash onion. Bills, as you know, my body is a temple. Uh, you know, I keep it pretty trim and I like to go at the gym. Now, I've been drinking protein shakes and protein powders for years. You jump around to different ones. Some of them make you feel a little bit bloated. Some of them make you full after a workout. You can never quite work it out. But I finally found a delicious way to get my protein before and after workouts. And guess what? It's Magic Spoon. Now, let me give you some stats. Zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and only four net grams of carbs in each serving. Only 140 calories a serving. The Honey Nut flavor has only one gram of sugar. It's keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, and low-carb, and you can also build your own box. Available flavors to build your very own custom bundle are cocoa, fruity, frosted, my favorite, peanut butter, Cookies and cream, maple waffle, blueberry, cinnamon, plus the newly reformulated honey nut flavor that will now be added to Magic Spoon's permanent collection simply because it's so tasty. Billy, I have it for breakfast, I have it pre-workout, post-workout, and you know what? Every so often there's a little lovely guiltless midnight snack. So go to magicspoon.com slash onion to grab a custom bundle of cereal and be sure to use our promo code onion at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money. No questions asked. Remember to get your next delicious bowl of guilt-free cereal at magicspoon.com slash onion and use the code onion to save $5 off. Thank you, Magic Spoon, for sponsoring this episode. So just before we came on there, you were talking about swords. Yes. Um, always a fun thing to have a sword. So oh, yeah. one of the skills then that you have picked up uh, as you were just about to tell me. And I was like, Adam, no, this is good stuff for the <laughs> podcast. Just wait. Uh, it's, it sounds like when you were down in New Zealand, that was another skill you picked up. Well, so on that first day that I was visiting Weta, I met Peter Lyon, the sword master at Weta, who built all the swords for all the Lord of the Rings films, hand ground them. I mean, it's just their amazing work. Uh, and he showed me Sting. He showed me the original Sting. Oh, wow. And 
we came back to San Francisco and I started corresponding with Richard. I said, I want to come back down. I want to film some stuff. And he said, what do you want to film? And I said, I'd love to spend a few days learning sword grinding from Peter Lyon. Uh, and so we did. I came back and he helped me, he taught me how to grind. I made Aragorn's sword out of aluminum, like a stunt sword. Right. Yeah, yeah. And it was so much fun. And so, I mean, Peter's a wonderful teacher, but also just to be in that shop and grinding this beautiful sword. And I went on to make several more. And then a couple of years ago, I reached out to Richard and said, I just booked this new TV show. I want to purchase one of Boromir's swords because they make beautiful steel versions Oh, yeah. of some of the key Lord of the Rings swords. And Boromir's is my all-time favorite. I just, I love the look of that sword. Yeah. And um, uh, yeah, those guys actually, Richard uh, Richard actually gifted me Boromir's sword for my birthday that year uh, and presented it to me at Comic-Con. It's one of my favorite objects in, in my collection. Oh, it's great. And it's an, impossible to me that it was ground by a human being. It's per, It's absolutely perfect. And to like look at it and realize that like my friend Peter Lyon made this is such a thrill. So as like the steel ones, is it is it basically a like a, a rectangle of steel when you get it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a rectangle. You draw the sword on it. The first thing you grind is the fuller, the 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 groove that goes up the middle. Then you cut it to size and then you start to shape it and you you keep on using uh, Sharpie marks and pens to like make sure your measurements are exact. But then you're sitting there for hours just passing this sword over ever finer grids, uh, 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 grits of sandpaper until you've got the sword you want. And and people all over the world now will be wanting an uh, Adam Savage sword. It'll be like the Kill Bill thing. Oh, he doesn't make them now, but you know. I actually have a beautiful replica of Kill Bill's sword for uh, for the bride. Of course you do. <laughs> <laughs> a collector like 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 Peter Jackson. You go to his house and there's just the the weirdest stuff. We discovered when he took me into his office at Weta, which is in you know behind a secret door, and I was like sitting at his desk. We're eating sandwiches, and I see that on his desk is an Enigma machine, the cipher machine from World War II. And I'm like, "You have an Enigma machine!" And Peter looked at me, and he's like, "Clearly, we have the same pathology." <laughs> <laughs> it's true, isn't it? You you walk through any of his rooms and you're like what is this and he's like oh that's from a 1935 movie and i really like the prop like wow it's yeah. just i love that yeah we were we were going through his prop collection and he had hal 9000 the eye from from 2001 a space odyssey and he showed it to me and i said um can i touch this and he said yeah and i said i think you've got the lens mounted backwards and i took out the lens and put it in the other way and showed him how to light it from the back. It's a story he tells everyone when he shows that eye, eye off. That's, that's amazing. If it didn't fit back in, what would you have done? <laughs> I, Just leave that there? I figured Richard would let me borrow a machine shop and I could, you know, lathe back the, the part that I broke. <laughs> that's brilliant. That's superb. So what what is um so what what would be the the perfect day for you in this shop that you have there? Well, I come in here uh, about five five days a week. I come in here every day. Uh, and sometimes I build small things. Sometimes I'll do like a repair. Mm -hmm. uh, last week, I decided I made this. This is the um, electromagnetic pulse button from uh, The Matrix. Oh, yeah. And I, I decided I wanted one. So I did some screenshots and figured out how it was made and then slowly built my own over a, a couple of weeks. Uh, and so like, mm -hmm. this is, this is sort of the more involved kind of builds I do. And then other things I'll, you know, I'll take some small piece that I need to repair and also film that. Um, and then frankly, I'll also often spend a couple of hours building something off camera. Uh, like I, I can't do everything on camera. I also like to listen to music and you can't put on copyrighted music while you're, while you're filming yourself. All right. So a lot of the stuff you're doing just now is for your YouTube then. Yeah, yeah, that's most of it. I, I actually, funnily enough, uh, earlier this year, I did a, a job for hire. I built a spacesuit for a uh, museum display. Oh, um, I got contacted by this company. And, uh, you know, as an actor, you are a freelancer, right? You are, you are looking for the work as it's yeah. coming in. And no matter how much work there is, you're always wondering what's next. Uh, I'm the same thing. I'm a, I'm a freelancer my whole life. So this company called me and said, would you build a, a museum 
quality spacesuit for our display. And I, yeah, I built it over uh, April and May and delivered it. And I'm, it's on display down in Florida now. That's fantastic. So just kind of there, just making stuff, whatever, whatever comes up that week. I, this this space for me, it's not very big, um, but it is like a Swiss army knife. And so for me, it's a very intimate kind of working arrangement where everything I need is kind of within my arms grasped. Uh, and so I can work very, very quickly. And I, I really like, I'm, uh, uh, I'm an adult. I, I definitely have ADHD, attention deficit disorder. Um, and, you know, that's the kind of jam that I need in order to calm down. I need, I need the workbench and all my tools at my disposal. Amazing. And has that always been the case? When you were growing up, did you always? Absolutely. Um, you know, the things that, I think that the things that we do that we keep on pursuing being excellent at it, mm-hmm. I think we do, I do that personally because uh, I find it very meditative. Mm-hmm. So, and at this bench, this is literally my main bench that I'm talking to you at. This is where I get to pretend I have some control over the world, which I don't. Mm-hmm. That's a fiction. Yeah, but here I do, and here I can kind of concentrate, and I can bring the noise of the world down to just what's in front of me and what I need to accomplish right now. And I find that a a, a very healing. Like I've spent my whole life chasing that. Like I said, chasing that endorphin rush. You think that will expand into making your own movies at some point? You know, it's funny. The more I know directors like Peter. Mm. And, you know, I know Guillermo del Toro a little bit. Um, the less I think I want to direct movies. It sounds like such a nightmare sometimes. It sounds like too many decisions being made. And I don't want to be in charge of all of them. I love making singular things and then delivering them. The idea of what it would be, you know, I think of the, because I, I watched all of the movies. I watched all of the extended cuts of Lord of the Rings. I watched all the behind-the-scenes material. And the thing that I keep on remembering is that shot of them doing dailies until like 1.32 in the morning. And everybody in the dailies room is sleeping, except there's Peter taking notes and going, Richard, Richard, why is this wrong? <laughs> and I think, I don't know if I'm built for that. Well, the the good thing is you don't need dailies now when it's digital. So what you see is what you get. So straight yeah. away you can take that out, Adam. <laughs> and then I think I think you make a movie uh, in your style. You yeah. know, I think I mean straight away saying that you know you look at Peter and you look at Guillermo. I mean that's like looking at Messi yeah. and Ronaldo playing soccer, isn't it? I mean, uh, yeah. But I I feel like. I don't know. I feel like you would make great films. I, I would want to see you. I, I'd want to see a film made by you. And then oh. you've got your style. If you don't want to make all those decisions, you just put key people and key things and say, you make those decisions. You make those. I'm, yeah. I'm making a prop right now, but it's going to be a really good one. <laughs> it's funny. I, I actually, I, I, got, I visited Guillermo on the set of Pacific Rim and he walked me through the art department. You know, the art department's always amazing. Yeah. 50, 60 people all doing drawings of beautiful, intricate things. And I said, how do you possibly, how do you possibly delegate to 70 different people and still maintain a kind of cohesive vision of the film? And Guillermo said, you have to give, you have to give everyone total autonomy within a tiny bandwidth. Yeah. Which is exactly what you're saying. And I, I totally appreciate that. I, I really do, because I love. I mean, one of the things I love about going to a place like Weta is how much everybody in the chain of making is owning what they're building and proud of it and in love with it and having so much fun with it. And it's uh, yeah, exactly. And it's not a, it's not a factory. It's not like oh, we're putting this out, we're putting that out. Like I remember when I was getting my um, Gondorian uniform. Yeah, and the belt on it was sort of weird it wasn't a, it didn't go across like that it was like a hold next. on just a second hold on just one sec Sorry. yes Be right back he's gone <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Well done. That was my doorbell and no one else was going to answer it. Who was at the door, Adam? Uh, that's my mailman. I, I get pack. I'm addicted to getting packages. So I get a pack. I get packages every day. It's one of my Anything, favorite. Was it, was it, fa- what is it? Something fantastic. Something from lost in space. Here, I'll open it. Let's see what this is. Okay. Do you like my hat, by the way? I love your hat, man. That is a fantastic cowboy hat. Because I was just thinking, I don't think I've ever seen you without a hat before. Uh, when I'll, normally when I meet you. Yes. No, I always, yeah. The hat is like my security blanket. Well, I, I, this wasn't actually a new honor or anything. I just came back from Calgary and they gave me this hat. It's but, gorgeous. Um, I, I just saw it there. Well, anyway, what did you get delivered? I got a bunch of bullets. Oh. <laughs> uh, they're fake. These are fake bullets, but they're for my um, my Clint Eastwood gun belt. From, from a, a certain movie? Uh, from the man with no name, you know, from uh, uh, a fistful of dollars. I, I found a guy on eBay who makes a really good replica of Clint Eastwood's gun belt, but it didn't have bullets, so I bought some bullets from him. I, ho- I hope it fits. Let's see. <laughs> All right, so here's the gun belt. Um, it's ni- oh, it's a nice one. Oh, it's perfect. Absolutely. That's oh, great. look at that. You don't even need to adapt it. That's it. It's done. Now, my problem with these is that they're a little new. So I may soak them in uh, some solvent to take off their coating and then make them a little bit more like weathered. You know, I don't like things to be too new. I want, I, I interrupted you in the middle of talking about your Gondorian uniform and I want to hear yeah. the rest of that story. Yeah, because you were just talking about how, you know, people get, Absolutely, you can do whatever you want in this little bit that you've got. Yeah. So obviously someone had got, they were to make the belt, the Gondorian belt, and it looked absolutely beautiful, but it was like an X. And so rather than go round and you put your sword on it, it it kind of came up and down Yeah. with a a bit in the middle sort of thing. So, Mm -hmm. you know, up and down like that. Yeah. And I was like, how does this, what would the, and, the, and then it suddenly struck me as I was looking, someone has worked on this for like two or three months. And you're like, oh, I, I can't accidentally be flippant and say, no, I'd just like one that goes around, please. <laughs> you know? And, yeah. and then you, you sort of, you forget that sometimes this thing that's slightly to the left of what you would do, me, like mm-hmm. if someone, I could make a belt anyway, but if someone's, I'd never think of that. But then when I got it, it totally made the costume something else. Yeah. It, 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 it then felt like it came from another place that Pippin would never have seen. And, right. you know, the, there was then this weird clothes that he didn't understand. So it informs the character accidentally. And then as you see, if it's worn and, you you feel like oh who where where's this been worn before and then in our story you find out it was um, uh, Faramir's it was his boys he wore it as a boy so wow. you're it's it just all kind of makes sense if you just let that person work on that one thing and do it to the best of their ability it'll accidentally inform the whole thing you know. Yeah, I, that's the 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 storytelling that happens all the way down below the director. Because everyone working on every part, on the van braces and on your gloves and on the chain mail and on the boots, each of those people is putting story into their thing. And as you, you know, I gave a, ta- I gave a TED Talk a few years ago about how I love cosplay, how I love putting on costumes. Mm. And I finished it by saying, look, every one of us who's putting on these costumes is putting our bodies into a narrative that meant something to us. And we're learning about ourselves in the process. And when I was finished, this movie star came up to me. I won't name him, but he came up and he said, look, I've never been comfortable with fan culture and I've never understood why people wanted to dress up as characters that I played. He said, until now. He said, you helped me understand. Because this actor was a craftsperson. He knew how costume changed his character. He knew how it informed his performance. And he realized that what we were doing was, was just a little bit adjacent to that. It was a very similar kind of process of transformation and transmutation. 
Absolutely. I I love cosplay. And I, I I feel like I feel like over the last 10, 15 years, it's taken an even bigger jump. Now people, it used to be, okay, I'm I'm this character, I'm Pippin, I'm Aragorn from Lord of the Rings, I'm Superman. But now they've invented, okay, I'm someone else who lives kind of near them, but I have this going on and I've got that. And then they put their own history into that, which in some ways is even more interesting, you know? Yeah. No, I'll wager when you when you're like signing autographs at a con and someone comes up dressed as one of your characters, that the best. you can see them having discomfort with a part of the costume that pissed you off 15 years ago. I'm right. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. They're always pulling at the neck of the cloak. Oh God, this thing's just pulling me back the whole day. That I mean, there's a lovely connection. When I see someone else wearing a costume that I have built and worn, I know that we've chewed on the same mud together. That's great. And even better if they fix it. Yes. I've seen other people who have like, I was like, oh, does that not hurt there? And they're like, oh, no, I took this and I, I removed that piece. And you're like, oh, my God, you, <laughs> you fixed it. Yeah, that's even better. Sean was telling me a great thing at the weekend that when we were doing costume for Lord of the Rings, and uh, they were, you know, quite early on and and picking what cloths we would wear and and all this, and and Sean said he found this beautiful. He's like, oh, it's like a farmer. It's it's a gardener's cloth, but it feels so beautiful. And it's he's like, oh, this is it. And he said. A week later, when he got the costume, he was like, this isn't quite the um, cloth that I, I, I fell in love with. And they, they came up to him and said, ah, yeah, Ian McKellen came in after you and he loved that as well. So uh, that's now Ara that's, uh, Gandalf's cloak, I'm afraid. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. What are you going to do? You're going to argue with Gandalf? No, no, you nah. lose that argument. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, right, so Mythbusters, well, I'm not going to keep you all day. Sorry, Adam, I know you've got things to take apart and put back together. <laughs> but um, obviously Mythbusters, amazing show, and you're probably recognised all over the world now because of that show. It was just, it was fantastic. I love things like that where it just feels like somehow it's just caught a moment and it's just perfect and, you know, I can Whenever it comes on, you just leave it. You know, it's just it's it's a perfect TV show. But that's it's now finished, right? Yeah, we wrapped it um, uh, at the end of 2015. After we made 300 hours of the show, 285 hours over 13 years. You know, we didn't. You know, you know, you've got friends who do TV shows. You do a TV show for eight months, and then you have your off yeah. time to go make a movie. Um, we did MythBusters full time year round for 13 years. Oh, did you really? Yeah, we had we did three months on and then two weeks off and then three months on and two weeks off. Never more than two weeks over the whole course of doing the show. Oh, I didn't know that. It was tiring, um, but it was also really like it was amazing that it showed up and that it became a hit so fast. We were figuring out how to do the job while we were doing it. And then we got to kind of create this show based on the enthusiasm of all five hosts, you know, we, yeah. we gravitated towards stories that interested us. Yeah. We figured out that the, that great shows came out of episodes that we were fascinated by, whether or not they had fire and bombs in them or, you know, mm -hmm. crazy stunts. Um, yeah, we did 300 hours, 13 years, uh, 85 miles of duct tape. <laughs> <laughs> Over 2,000 yeah. explosions. For for me and Dom, when we talk about this podcast, that's all we always get back to. We just want to talk to people that are passionate about stuff, that that really want to kind of do what they're doing and, yeah. and not have it as a stepping stone to something else. And And you can always tell. And that was what was so brilliant about that show was it was just people – loving what they're doing, yeah. you know, finding out about it as you're finding out about it, being curious. It's just, it's just wonderful. Well, you know, like I said, Discovery wasn't, didn't have a lot of talent-based shows back in those days. And so 
like I said, we shot the pilots with five people. It was very intimate. Mm. Um, and not only that, I was able to have, uh, for me, uh, doing the kind of television that I do, having a really good relationship with my cameraman is really mm. important. Mm -hmm. uh, and I didn't know that because I was blessed for the first three years with truly great cameramen. And then when I had cameramen who didn't care as much about what I was doing, I really felt it. And I felt it in the product and I felt it in what was happening in the, in the relationship between me and the camera. Yeah. Uh, and that really informed also the, who we hired after that and, you know, the kind of environment I want on set. Um, but it was very, it, it was really lovely to have this sort of quiet crucible to build the show for the first couple of seasons with such a small crew and sort of figure out how we wanted to make it. I, I feel so lucky that we got to make the show we wanted to make for the whole time we did it. And how, how did it feel when it finished? I mean... If you're doing it, as you say, all the time, it's not even as if, oh, well, I know what it's like not to do it for six months. You just, I mean, that must have been the weirdest feeling. I went a little crazy. Actually, I have a friend yeah. who was on one of the CSI shows for six years, and she gave me this great gift. I saw her about a month before we wrapped, and she said, oh, sweetie, you're going to lose your mind for a little while. <laughs> she said, you've been doing the same thing for 14 years you're going to go a little nuts without doing it. And she was right. And I spent a few months sort of like, I remember at the end of the first two weeks that we'd wrapped the show, uh -huh. um, I was still getting up every morning at eight and like running over to the shop and building stuff. And my wife was like, you're still totally manic. And I was like, sweetie, I don't know any other way to work than this. <laughs> and so that first year without doing the show was spent kind of figuring out how to live in a different, in a different mode, you know? And what, and what did that morph into? What was the next thing? Well, I mean, part of it was, you know, when a production takes over your life, it's hard to get back into your life. Uh -huh. And uh -huh. so the time, the, the last seven years since we wrapped Mythbusters have been very much about finding a really nice balance between being home and coming here. And like my wife is a marriage and family therapist. She sees most of her clients in the afternoons. So my life right now has some very slow mornings in which we wake up, Lovely. we have coffee, we chat. Oh. I come over here sometime around nine or 10. It's just, it's, it's, it's so lovely. And it survived COVID. You know, we, we released seven videos a week through all of COVID and it was stunning. And I'm moving slightly towards television now, but I'm also really clear how happy I am coming into my shop and building 40 hours a week. I mean, sometimes we forget, don't we? I'd, I was off working the last couple of weeks and I made a coffee this morning for me and my wife, just like you were saying. And my wife said to me, she says, oh, I really miss our little chats. Just things that it becomes part of your day and you don't even think about it. But there's 45 minutes in the morning where we have a coffee and we just talk rubbish but you 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 get into that kind of hamster wheel of you, you're not doing that and those things are super important and i think you know in in our kind of modern times we forget that well and especially really particularly when you're on a on a production that is big and all-encompassing mm -hmm. um it's it's very it took me a long time to sort of realized that, you know, I was at work doing all these spectacular things all day long, crashing cars and setting off yeah. explosions. And when I'm coming home, that's not the most important thing. The most important thing is what's it like in my house? How are things been? How are my kids? What was the day like? And slowing down and slotting back into that, you know, I, I one of the things that we did on Mythbusters actually even though we shot year round, because we shot so constantly, we kept very reasonable hours. And I was home mm -hmm. by six, six o'clock every night. And so, uh, you know, I never missed dinner with my kids. And that, for that, mm -hmm. I'm truly grateful that we had enough control over the production that we were able to do that. Yeah, I think control is a good word for it because sometimes when you, you go to TV or film, you, you do lose control. I remember watching a thing, I think it was Patrick Stewart who, he says I was, he must have been on like Star Trek or something for a long time. And then his first time going into an airport, 
when there's not someone leading him through the airport and taking his ticket. And he just felt like, what do I do in this building? You know, I'm stuck in this. You do lose control. Yeah. People say, you're getting picked up tomorrow at 4 a.m. You're having lunch here. You're doing that. And you, it's quite easy to sort of, okay, take the control, you know. And I've found later, I, I try and keep as much, even if it's little things like, I'll rent a car and I'll, I'll take myself there rather mm-hmm. than just always be, you're getting picked up, you're getting dropped. You know, sometimes it's nice just to hold whatever control you, you can. So it's great to hear that you guys uh, had the, the, the mind, the foresight to know that if you're going to do something for a long time like that, you, you have to have that control. You have to pace yourself. And, you know, mm-hmm. when you do have a hit show, you end up with this weird kind of power where you mm. could call your boss's boss's boss and complain, but you don't want to use that power nearly at all unless it's crazy important. And Jamie and I and Carrie and Grant and Tori, we were all really clear that the only thing we wanted to do with the power was make our shooting schedule a little easier. Ah, so lovely. by the end of making Mythbusters, we had something like 12 days to shoot every single episode. And I mean, that's a luxury, you know, normal television is like seven days for a whole hour of television. We had 12, 13 days. It was luxurious. And we were never going to get that again. You know, it's like, yeah, no, this is, this is the dream. And that's all that we did with our power. We, you know, we only did it to extend our schedule. So are you feeling now after, after that, that you are ready to do another TV or? I do. You look, yeah. you know. I'd started Mythbusters when I was in my 30s. I'm in my middle 50s now. Um, I can no longer build something spectacular every single week on television. I don't have the stamina. I I won't hold up. Um, So fundamentally, the kind of television I want to make is a little bit different. But I love telling stories. I love making things accessible to people by giving them a, a physical understanding of something they didn't know that they could understand. Yeah. I love communicating about the world in a way where you go, oh, wow. And that that gasp, there's a great David Mamet quote in which he says, in theater, it's easy to blackmail the audience into a standing ovation, but you can never blackmail them into a gasp. Ah, lovely. And I'm sure you've had the experience of being on stage when the audience did that. (gasps) And there's, there's nothing like that feeling. You're all sharing something really special at that moment. And there was a lot of those on Mythbusters. Oh, God. Yeah, it was fabulous. Sometimes you guys would be gasping. It was great. But what but what's that going to be though? What's what's your next thing then? I mean, is it is it traveling the world and looking at things being built? How did people build that? Well, you know, at each stage in your life, you kind of come up with a I like to come up with a North star of the way I'd like things to be. And right now I'll tell you, and this may sound like I'm putting on the biggest airs imaginable, but one of my heroes is David Attenborough. And I would love to approach being the David Attenborough of engineering, helping people understand engineering in all of its incredible uh, facets in the same way that David Attenborough helps us understand our planet and our world and nature in all of its incredible facets. And I, I've been watching him since I was 10 years old. Uh, and when I have done television that I think I'm most proud of, it has been that I am using my enthusiasm to show the audience the mysteries that have been revealed to me that hopefully I'm revealing to them. Uh, so that's that's the the broad rubric of the kind of television I like to make. What that ends up being, I'm not sure. That's yeah, I'm in. I, you've sold me. That sounds fantastic. I was, I want to watch you every week take apart a machine and tell me why they did it and how they did it. Absolutely, Adam. That'd be brilliant. And in the meantime, make that movie. Uh, can I be in it? And I'd like some fantastic props. You're in. You're done. I'm. I'm. You're. I'm putting you on the list. Let's totally do it. Adam, I don't want to keep you any longer. Um, I, I know uh, I've made you talk too much, but fantastic. What a, what a great sort of insight into your incredibly interesting life. We'd love to get you back on when, when Don can be here, if that's all right. Anytime. Anytime you call, I'm, I'm here, man. It's been such a pleasure, Billy, and so much fun seeing you at all those cons last year. I yeah. hope to run into you at one this year again. I'm sure we will, and if you could build me a guitar, that would be lovely. 
from a tree and some um, cat's tails. Absolutely. Absolutely, man. Absolutely wonderful. Thank you very much, Adam. Oh, and where can people make sure that uh, people can see your show just now? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, my YouTube channel is Tested, T-E-S-T-E-D. Um, I'm also uh, The Real Adam Savage on Instagram and uh, Don't Try This on Twitter. <laughs> Lovely stuff. Yeah, go. I mean, everybody knows who you are anyway, so it's not like I'm introducing someone, but please, let's always keep watching Adam and what he's up to. Thank you very much, mate. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much, my friend. A pleasure. Well, Dom, what would you think about that? I mean... Fantastic, right? Incredible. We missed you, though. I know, yeah. I really did. I remember. I thought I, I was hoping that you'd make it, but it was the only time we could get Adam, and we didn't want to lose him because he's such an interesting man. Great man. And Obviously working from a place of passion. Exactly. Um, which is what we love on this show. Yeah, and yeah. built his whole thing around that. You know, that, that space that he's working from is just so uh, amazing. And obviously he has... Now got that amazing relationship with the people at Weta. Mm. So, um, and you can tell how they would hit it off, you know, mm. just the same headspace mm. of let's make these brilliant things. How does this work? Mm. And, you know, and you know what I, I would have asked him. Well, go on. I can't understand this, but it happens all the time. Right. right? What, we hear this. Do you take, let's say, a bathroom tap, or right. as they say right. in the United States, faucet, a faucet. Take a faucet. Right. So take a tap, right? Right. And turn it on just so it's dripping. Virtually nothing. But virtually nothing. Just a just a tiny little drip. Not like a drip every minute, but just like a drip. Yeah. Drip. 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 Right? Like that. And it's not gonna change from no. the drip. It's not gonna suddenly create uh -huh. a stream. It's always gonna drip, right? Uh-huh. Take your finger uh -huh. and put it underneath the drip. So it's not connecting to uh -huh. the drip at the top. It's connecting to the drip that has fallen from the top bit. Yeah. Yeah. Sooner or later, that drip will turn into a stream. Why does that happen? Does it really? Yeah, yeah, I'll show you the next time I'm at your house. I used to do it all the time when I was a kid. And I was like, what is that about? So it's drip, drip, drip. You put your finger under and there's some, some chemical change. Is your finger that... touching the tap? No, it's no. It's beyond... independently just hitting one of the drips that's falling from the stop above. And sooner or later, it forms a stream. I can't explain it myself. I don't even know if Adam could or maybe even Albert Einstein. Drip, drip, drip. The drip, drip, drip. Finger experiment. under, stream. Yeah. Would it work if you had a faulty prostate? <laughs> Possibly. Have you got one? Could you try it out? I think I'm all right. Mm. I don't understand that, but if there's anyone out there that knows why that happens or if it's indeed happened to you, or maybe you can try it at home and get back to us, let us know. And let us know at thefriendshiponion at castmedia.com or leave us a voicemail at uh, speakpipe.com forward slash thefriendshiponion. Yes, and you can also leave questions, comments, and concerns yes. on our YouTube channel, which is the Friendship Onion podcast, obviously. And then um, if you can rate and review and subscribe, as it means we can make more and more episodes, which we like doing, and uh, it'll make us happy. Get your friends to subscribe. Do all of that. Anyway, that was a really fun one, Dom. Wasn't it? I didn't enjoy it. I did enjoy it. But I wish you had been there. Well, I'll never leave you again. <laughs> Guys, we'll see you next week. See you next week on The Friendship Onion. No turtles! Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.